started, and then we'll let the those that are hanging out outside come in when they get think it's time for them to come in. First Corinthians chapter three, and uh, we're at verse thirteen. Let's just start at verse nine, just to read to get the flow, and uh, we're going to kind of camp here in verse thirteen, a couple weeks here. Uh, verse nine: For we are laborers together with God; ye are God's husbandry; ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath builded, uh, I'm sorry, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire." Now, we've kind of come down through verse 12 last time, talking about the, wood, the, the gold, silver, precious stones, the wood, hay, and the stubble, the, uh, the uh, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that we get from the sound doctrine of God's Word rightly divided. We want to be building. And again, the issue here is how are you building? Not are you building, because you build. Whether you like it or not, you're building. So how then are you building? What are you using? What are the materials? And uh, we, again, we looked last time at gold, silver, precious stones, the, the issue of, of, of um, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, the Word of God rightly divided, Paul's the master builder, we're, so we're, we want to be building in things according to the wise master plan, the correct blueprint. And then we looked at wood, hay, and stubble. We, I went over and showed you Colossians 2 verse 8, because that gives you a, a, an idea too there of the philosophy and vain deceit, and then the traditions of men, and then the rudiments of the world, and how those three match up with the issues in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, of the eye gate, the ear gate, and the heart gate. That's the inferior, okay? That's the information. Uh, by the way, come over with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And, 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 and you have to understand this issue about the wood, hay, and stubble, uh, and the eye gate, the ear gate, the heart gate. Uh, Matthew 15, if you look at there in verse number 1, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? See how he's nailing them about the traditions? Verse 6. By the way, verse 4, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother. He that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Isn't that interesting? They shifted it. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your traditions. Come over to Mark 7. So this issue of the wood, hay, and stubble 
and the traditions and the rudiments and the philosophy and the vain is not new. Just like wisdom, understanding, and knowledge isn't new. It's just now Paul is bringing it into our, uh, our, our dispensation, our understanding. L- look here quickly at Mark 7. I, didn't, I don't want to get bogged down in all this. Verse 3. For the Pharisee and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. What is their tradition? Washing their hands. Moses never tells them that. That is not found in the 600 commandments. What'd they do? They made it into a law. Into They've written it into. If you come down... Verse 7, howbeit in vain do they worship me. You know, I, I always call this the, the vain religious system, vanity, empty. They're worshiping me not with their hearts. They're just doing the motions, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. See what they've done? They've corrupted it. And washing pots and pans, and there's no religious value to that at all. They've just made it into it. So much so, verse 13, making the word of God of none effect through your traditions which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. What did they do to the word of God? They made it of none effect. So when we come back to 1 Corinthians 3, and we talk there in verse 12 about the issue of the gold, silver, and precious stones, and then we talk about wood, hay, and stubble, <laughs> then we begin to talk, we're talking about the superior material and the inferior And then we come to verse 13, and that's where we're going to spend uh, all of today and a good chunk of next week, I hope, uh, we'll get to finish this up. Because when we come to verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So now we've got the day. And now what Paul's, Paul has laid out this, this scenario here of, hey, the, you're, you're going to build to a future point, and in that future point, the day. When it comes and it shows up, then the fire is going to be the evaluator. Now, if you, turn, if you draw your eye right across the page to chapter 4 and verse 4, because we're going to talk about the day, but we got to get some other things in verse 13 first, okay? 4-4, four, four. for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. We're going to read a verse in, first, in Timothy here in a little bit about the righteous judge. Who is it? It's the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the what? Lord, come, who both will bring the light, the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest counsel of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. And that, the end of that verse is the joyous result. Now, what happens is, is he's going to talk about the day, see, and in 3.13. Now, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day. 
So you got to remember, work, how you're building, that's the issue. The issue isn't are you justified or not, because if you were not justified, you would not be here. You would be still stuck on earth wondering, still contemplating your navel. You really would have, you would still be stuck, okay? So again, the judgment seat of Christ, that's what we're talking about. That's, okay, by the way, the day here, I'm just going to say, is the day of Christ. And we'll look at all of that. We'll see all that as we go, okay? And the judgment seat, the rapture, the judgment seat, all of that is just pieces of the day of Christ. It isn't the day, the whole day. It's just pieces of it. And that's why it's going to take us a couple, two weeks to kind of walk through it because I want to show you the events and everything. The day, the work. Let's just work around that, the day, and then we'll get into it, okay? So the work, the fire is going to, uh, and it shall, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So the fire is the evaluate standard. It is the work, the sort, is it gold, silver, precious stone, or is it wood, hay, and stubble? So when the fire evaluates the material that you've been using to build, the sort, it's the, it's the quality, not the quantity, okay? How do you know what you build is gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble? The fire is going to tell you. The fire is going to evaluate. The fire is going to consume the wood, hay, and stubble. Now, this day is a great day. And this is a wonderful doctrine, the judgment seat of Christ and everything. And it's wonderful because it's here in Scripture so that right now in time, as we are what? Building, we can do what? We can identify for ourselves, am I building gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble? And in time, godliness is profitable and it has a promise of life, which now is, I can right now begin to clear off the wood, hay, and stubble as it's coming at me, see? Why? Because I'm dispensational Bible study. I'm rightly dividing the word, and I'm just after gold, silver, and precious stones. The fire, it's the fire that's going to evaluate. It's the fire that is the measuring stick. It is what will identify the material. Now, when you talk about fire, come back with me to Jeremiah 23, just a few verses so we can identify this. In Scripture, fire is often used to represent God's Word. Now, God's Word's also called a hammer. It's also called a sword. You know, it's, all, it's got other names to it, but also it's deals with the issue of fire. Jeremiah 23, if you look at verse 29. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? See, fire and hammer, okay? What's the word of God likened to? Fire. So on the day in our material is going to be consumed, what's going on there? The Word of God, rightly divided, looks at your building and says, 
Good, bad, good, bad, good, good, bad, 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 good, good, good. You know, and it's the one doing the evaluation. The righteous judge is who? It's the Lord, but it's his word. Clearly here. And again, why is this helpful for us? Because at the judgment seat of Christ, there will be no surprises. God's not going to pull out another book somewhere and say, okay, we're going to judge them. That's called double jeopardy. <laughs> See, that's why the judgment seat of Christ is not about your justification. I've said that every time, at least 10 times. Why? If, if, if you're being judged for a sin at the judgment seat of Christ, that means Calvary wasn't enough. It didn't take care of it. So now I'm being charged two times. Double jeopardy can't. See, that's not justice. That's injustice. See, so when we talk here, you're in Jeremiah 23. Look back at chapter 20. We have God's word. God doesn't pull something out uh, that we don't know. We know. We have God's word, and we know what God's doing today, and we know what's going to be evaluated. How do we know that? Well, we know 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. We got the master builder. We know that that's Paul, that his epistles, Romans to Philemon, lay out the blueprint for the godly edification process. We've got the doctrine, the reproof, the correction. We've got the cross and, 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 and the church and his coming and the congregate, the local. We've got everything revealed to us. There's nothing he's hid, kept secret. Paul looks at those elders at Ephesus in Acts 20, and he says, I hid, I kept nothing back from you guys. I gave it all to you. So there's no longer, there will never be a surprise. God takes the blueprint out, and he uses that to do the evaluating. And guess what? You can't say, Lord, I didn't know. You know why? It's been right there the whole time. Well, but I was in such and such church. Doesn't matter. It was right there the whole time. Nobody ever told me. I did. It's right there the whole time. See, okay? So everybody's being judged equally. Not, oh, well, you know, okay, Rick, you spent your life in the message. You, you get a pass. No, not at all. Okay, well, Rick, you didn't do this or this and that. And that. <laughs> No, 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 here's the, 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 the standard. There will be some who have built on the, with the wrong blueprint. They've used Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts. They've used the Old Testament. I know I, I, people, right now for some reason, the Orthodox Jew is getting a lot of play. You know what they are? They're sinners, they're lost, and they're going to hell. That's who they are in the eyes of God. They're, but they're orthodox. I get it. But what are they? Sinners, lost, and going to hell. How can you say that? I didn't say it. Romans 9, 10, and 11 says it. How are they, so they get, they get saved. They become a member of the body of Christ. What are they going to be? All of that background, it's gone. See. Why? Because it's not according to the right blueprint. That's why right, being scriptural is great, but you have to be also dispensational, see. And, I, and, and by the way, this is something we should never fear. 
This day is not a day of dread. As we go through some of this, we'll see just the opposite. It's the blessed hope. It's the glorious appearing, see? It's not a, okay, great, here we go. He's going to whack me. No, he's already whacked you at Calvary, see? He's already took care of your sin issue. But God committed his love toward us and not while we were yet, when did he die for you? When you were a sinner, see? He, you were his enemy, verse 10 says of Romans 5. He's not getting you now because you're his son. You're his child. You're his He's not going to whack on you. He's going to clean you up. But why? Because for all of eternity, he would never allow inferior material to be in his body, his temple. So he's going to clean all that out. What's going to do it? The fire. You found Jeremiah 20 now, I hope. All that to get you time to find Jeremiah 20. Verse number 9. Then I said, this is Jeremiah, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. Uh, This is Jeremiah pitching a fit. He's in jail. And he's in jail because Judah, Israel, they would not hearken to him. They they threw him in chains. So he's pitching a fit. And I'm never going to talk about the Lord ever again. I will not make mention of him. That's the, the Lord, Jehovah. Nor speak any more in his name, Jehovah. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. For I heard the defame, and off he goes, and he just can't contain himself. See? Come over to chapter 5. Again, his word was in my heart as a burning fire. Jeremiah 5. Jeremiah 5 and verse 14. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord, God of hosts, because ye speak this word... Behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people wood, and it shall devour them. Woo! Fire. Come over to first or Second Timothy chapter one. Second Timothy chapter one. You see, folks, you and I, we have the, the culmination of progressive revelation. We have the culmination. You and I are the 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 most blessed group because we have the completed Word of God. So we're not not adding to it. We're not taking away from it. We have it all. Rightly dividing the Word. Scriptural, dispensational, that's the blueprint. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, the Apostle Paul here, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. What's Paul say? I'm giving you, come over to Colossians 1. I'm filling up the word of God. Colossians 1, verse 25. Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Fulfill. Fill it up. Not fulfill it and accomplish it, but fulfill it. Fill it up. So when Paul puts his pen down at the end of 2 Timothy... The canon of Scripture is done. It is complete. And Paul says, I'm the master builder. I've laid the foundation. I've given you the form of sound words. I've given you the pattern, the orderly system, the orderly format of truth now, given by God to Paul. Paul gets that that structure 
and we're to build on it. We're Romans 16, 25. Now to him there's power to establish you according to my gospel. Bam. And the preaching of Jesus Christ according to revelation of the mystery which was kept secret but now is made manifest. And by the prophets, the scriptures of the prophets, by the commandment of the everlasting God, may be known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Paul gets the information. He gets the structure. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction or righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect. What does that mean? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Matured. Who, Paul, you know what Peter says in 2 Peter 3? When you read Paul, there's some things in there hard to understand. I don't even get it. You know what Paul says? 2 Timothy 2. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Well, that's different. Why? We got the cap. So when you come back to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, it, the work, because it, the work, shall be Revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. It's the word of God rightly divided. The word of God dispensationally laid out. Time passed, but now ages to come. And if you're building back here, you're building wood, hay, and stubble. If you're building out here, you're building wood, hay, and stubble. Now, it's, it, well, but Rick, it's scripture. Well, okay, you might get a little benefit out of it. But you know what happens when they find, you know when they dig for gold and they find it in what? Where, where do they find gold? In rock. What do they have to do to the rock? Well, they got to smelt it down and they got to do their thing to get it out. See, you, you might get a little sliver because you were using the word of God. That's not on me. That's who, who the righteous judge will determine that. The fire determines that. Paul quotes that Old Testament quite a bit. So, all right, you might get a little benefit, but not what it looks like when it's that big, big, big old kingdom mansion, big old thing you've built out there. Well, but Rick, I'm going to suffer loss. Yeah, but look at verse 15. I'm 1 Corinthians 3.15. It's not a suffer loss in a boo-hoo bad thing. What is it? 1 Corinthians 3.15. If any man's work shall be burned, it sh he shall suffer loss. If Look, folks, if you've got wood, hay, and stubble, and it's burned up, you lost. By the way, you know what you lose? You lose, there's a reward. We'll get to that. Wait till we get into all that. Ay, ay, ay. All the ideas out there. Crowns and this and that. I'm like, no, it's a reward, singular. It is a crown. It is a reward of heaven. Yeah, but Paul says crowns of righteousness. Yeah, but you better pay attention to the context that that verse sits in. Because usually he's talking about people. Actually, in 1 Thessalonians, he is talking about people. Where was I? You're going to suffer loss. Loss of opportunity to do what? Build gold with silver precious stones. But also loss in that reward issue. But keep reading the verse because it's not a bad thing. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. What, how is the fire saving you? Again, not justification unto eternal life. Not determining whether you're worthy to go to heaven. If you were not worthy to go to heaven, you wouldn't be there. Can I, how many times you got to say this to get it through thick heads? I don't know. 
Okay. Well, I wasn't referring to you. Thank you, Rodney. I wasn't referring to Rodney, but that's a way to break the ice. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Okay? There's always one in the crowd, and that's good. That's all right. See, saved how? Saved, and what did it burn up? All that inferior. See, saved, rescued from having inferior material living with you the rest of your, for all of eternity. And again, when we get down there, we'll feather that out a little better. Now, back to verse 13, because the day shall declare it. What day? The day here, the day, now, you've got to think about this. The day isn't anything that's already happened. 4, 5, chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. You see that? So the day is a what day? It's a future day. So when you look on the timeline, there's a couple comings that are future, aren't there? There's what we call the rapture. Then there's the second coming, and then there's the great white throne judgment coming. So which day are we talking about, see? Now, some people take the rapture and stick it over here. Take the rapture and stick it over there. You know what that is? That's an ant, thanks for playing. It's a big family feud X, see? And what I want to do with you is I want to walk with you through the fact that this day is what is Paul calls the day of Christ, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day of Jesus Christ. He's got a couple different monikers for it, but it's the day where the work of building that we have done is going to be evaluated. Heaven is already... I'm going to, I'm going to take, take this down. Heaven is already a reality for the believer. Heaven is already a reality for the believer. This is not about going to heaven. It's not about getting through the pearly gates, walking the streets of gold, and all that nonsense. This is about this day, is about the day where the evaluating of your building, of your work, is going to take place. Again, God the Father has already judged. Come over to Romans 14. God the Father has already judged your sin. And you cannot experience double jeopardy. So when Paul talks about until the Lord come, until his time, and the day, and that day, well, that day's got a name, Romans 14. Romans 14, we'll start there in verse 10. And again, what's wonderful is we have Scripture, and we can learn about this, we can rejoice in it, we can focus in on our, the daily details of our lives and make sure they're matching who we are in Christ. That's what we're talking about. I've been talking about, the, you know, who are you in Christ and walking like who you are and living how you are in Christ. I've been talking about that for 30 years now, almost. Why? Because that's the, ju- that's the moniker. That's the measure. That's the stick we're going to, the, the yardstick that's used, according to. Romans 14, verse 10. 
But why, but why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? It, it, man, it's just what the Corinthians are doing, Romans 14, 10. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There it is. That's the day. That's the component where, where our work is evaluated in the day of Christ. Okay? Now, again, we'll, talk, we'll feather out all the details but just what is it called? It's called the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give, an, a, a, give account of himself to God. Man, that is wonderful. Well, I got to give an account to God? Yeah, you know what you're going to be like? Job 1, Job 2. Remember in Job 1, Satan even had to give an account to God. Now you think about that. Even the, the, the leader of the rebellion had to come up and give an accounting. Why? Because God expects all of his creatures and his creation to give account of what am I doing? What have you been doing? Satan, where have you been? I've been down on earth walking to and fro, looking, looking around. What's he going to do with you? He's, there's an accounting. Now it's not going to be a big screen with everybody sitting with popcorn and bottle of water going, hey, look at that. <laughs> look, Jody, she should have known better. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. None of that. I picked Jody's down front here, so. Okay. None of that. And Tim's sitting there going, yeah, I told her not to. No, he's not. None of that. See? Bingo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. None of that. See? That's what religion out there, why? Because they want to get you under the thumb. They want to get you to be accountable to them. No, we're going to give an account to who? To God. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's the other passage that this is talked about. 2 Corinthians 5. By the way, it's very interesting. There are three passages that talk about the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5. Three passages, and you know what they match up to? And you work this out. Their spirit, soul, and body of you. Your spirit, your soul, your body. 2 Corinthians 5 is the body. Just FYI. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Done in his body. Who is in you? Your new man. Your inner man. Christ. What did you do in it? Not with it, by it, for it, but in it. See that? 1 Corinthians 3, how did you build on the foundation inside of you? What were you looking at? What were you thinking? Your, your soul, your, the mind of your, the mental uh, uh, processes of your inner man. Were you looking at wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, or were you looking at the eye gate, the ear gate, and the heart gate? What were you looking at? Romans 14, and so forth. Come over to 2 Timothy Chapter 4. So when we look at this day, and we, 2 Timothy 4, and we begin to see some of these details, again, we are not talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, how does he come back? 
on fairy dust and twinkle toes and everything's good to go and hunky-dory? Or does he come back waging war and spitting out fire and vengeance and wrath? We're going to find out that the day of Christ is not that day. How about the great white throne judgment? Is that going to be a birthday party and an anniversary party? Or is that going to be a day of judgment? That's a day of wrath poured out. We're going to find out that that's not the day of Christ. By the way, that's, the day of, that's a component of the day of the Lord. The second coming is a component of the conclusion of the great and notable day of the Lord, the notable part of the day. See, so when we talk here about the day of Christ, you, you got to pay attention to what, how Paul talks about it and how Paul uses it. I know as soon as I said day of Christ, everybody went in their minds to 2 Thessalonians 2. Don't go there. We'll, we're going to get there if the, time, if the clock, if I get off the rabbit trails and stick with the thing. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Those are not two different things. They are the same. The Apostle Paul here, when he is talking about, he's preparing the believer, the believer today in the age of grace for a very specific and unique judgment of the quick and the dead. At his what? His appearing and his kingdom. He's preparing the believer according to some unique system of revealed truth that was committed to the Apostle Paul, an unprophesied judgment, an unprophesied event going to happen, and it's his appearing and kingdom. Now think about, think about 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5. Well, if you need to go back there, I do because the verse slipped my mind. Hold on to 2 Timothy 4. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. His appearing, the, rightful, the righteous judge shows up. That's his appearing. Then he says, and his kingdom. Well, look down at verse 8, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Isn't that interesting how Paul says that? At that day, the day of Christ, there's going to be an appearing and there's going to be an establishment. By the way, he goes on down in verse 18 there and says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. He's not talking about the kingdom of God on the earth. He's not talking about the kingdom of heaven on the earth. Where are you and I destined to be? Heavenly places. So where are we going? Heaven. So when Paul, we need to recognize that when Paul, by the way, in verse 8, Paul's not getting a physical crown with jewels on it and woohoo, all that stuff. See, he's, that is a reward coming his way. And again, we'll get into that in verse 15, so just hold on on that, okay? You know what people say about the crown of righteousness there? They say, we get a crown, and then we go into the, into the throne room of God the Father, and we throw our crowns at his feet because he's the ultimate. No way, Jack. 
Sorry, Charlie, you just don't get it. You're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the book of the Revelation into you and I, the church, the body of Christ, and that ain't happening. We sang that song last week. We changed the last word from crown to home. Some folks ask, why did you do that? Because you don't get a crown when everybody thinks like a crown. Where are we going when we go to heaven? We're going home. See, that's home. So when we need to recognize Paul's unique place in the scriptures and the system of revealed truth that was given to him regarding God's eternal purpose and plan for the heavenly places. You and I are not destined to be on the earth. We're destined where? The heavenly kingdom. Come back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. By the way, that... There's only two places that I know of where Paul uses that heavenly kingdom type terminology. One is 2 Timothy 4 at the end of life. You know why? Because if Paul, keep, if Paul were to use kingdom language all through the epistles, what would you think you are? Israel. That's why Paul never uses the term born again. He uses regenerate, which is a close close to it, but it isn't the same. You know why? Because if he said you're born again, he doesn't say that, by the way. You know what he says? You are saved. That's what he said. See, then you think you're Israel or spiritual Israel. No, Paul is very careful to keep the lines clear. Israel's that, and we are this. You follow me? I I try not to get off on the rabbit trails, but it just flows. 1 Timothy 6, look at verse 14 that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Isn't that interesting? In his times, there's the appearing. This is Paul... By the way, Paul alone calls this the day of Christ. Nobody else calls it that. This is Paul's term. Come over to Titus chapter 2. And it is associated with his appearing. For who? For you and I, for the church, the body of Christ. We call that event the rapture. We'll get over there in just a minute to it. We'll spend some time in that passage because there's a lot of detail in there that's connected to so that you understand that the day of Christ is not just one event. It's a series of events that moves the church, the body of Christ, and it it ends the dispensation of grace and it places us into the heavenly, uh, in, in, in presenting us to the Father and Him placing us into the positions in the heavenly places, the governmental, the heavenly government. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope. What kind of hope are we looking for? Happy hope. Not a downer, not a doomsday, but a blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. A glorious appearing, a blessed hope. We are to live our lives centered around this appearing. That th- By the way, that thing in, Tid- in Timothy, back there, 
uh, who love, oh, where did it go? 1 Timothy 6. Nope. Where did it go? The, the, the love's disappearing. Uh, verse, uh, verse 8. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. The end of that verse, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You know, he's talking about the Acts 9 appearing and the appearing at the end. Because you know what we do? We love the fact that he appeared to who? Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. See, if you don't study your scriptures rightly divided dispensationally, you skip right over Acts 9, thinking it's just another event. Paul says, no, man, that was a blessed event. That was a great event. And then when he ends the dispensation of grace, Titus 2.13, what are we looking for? That blessed hope, man. That, we're loving that appearing, see. So you got to love both appearings. See, follow what he's doing there? He's not just leaving one out and the other one in. Come over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You see, folks, we're to live our lives centered around this appearing, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the day of Christ, this whole event here of when he comes and he appears. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love it. Isn't that wonderful? Based upon the Lord coming back for you and by our gathering together unto him. Now, then that's a better way to describe the rapture. Now, we use rapture. Rapture is a great word. It's a good word. It's an appropriate word. It's just not a Bible word. Whoop-de-doo. Do you know Bible is not a Bible word? But we, now, Scripture is a, is a, is a Bible word. But we got Holy Bible written on everything. Bible, rapture is a good word, the rapture chapter, right? Mm -hmm. But what are we looking for? What are we basing? What is Paul going to base everything he's going to deal with the Thessalonians on? He's basing it upon what? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together, see? What are we doing? We're to, we're to take our life and we're to center around the event. We're to center around not him returning to the earth, but him doing what? Coming and getting us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now you may say, but Rick, you're nitpicking. I am nitpicking because there are people that tried to put the rapture at the second coming. Actually, they tried to put it midweek of the 70th week. So that means you and I have to go into the little wrath. You know, you and I are not appointed to wrath. Appointment. It's not even on the calendar for you to go through wrath the 70th week. Then they, try, then they move it to the second coming and that resurrection into the kingdom. See, that's our rapture. And then they move it over to the great white throne. And, and it's like, and they do it all off of until the Lord come. But if you don't rightly divide and you don't see this unique appearing, this unique come and given to the apostle Paul, you're going to do this dance with the devil, if you will. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord, what's that word? Himself 
shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, that meeting is the judgment seat of Christ, and we'll look at that as we, okay? And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? That's the, that's the day of Christ. The Lord himself, who comes back? He doesn't send the angels. By the way, he sends angels out to collect up Israel from the four corners of the world, of the earth. He doesn't do that. He's, he himself comes. There's a shout. There's a voice. There's a trump. By the way, it's not a trumpet. It's a trump. A trumpet is the musical instrument. A trump is the sound the trumpet makes. He makes two sounds. That's why 1 Corinthians 15 is going to tell us that the last trump he makes two sounds, one to call the dead in Christ rise first, and second to call you those that are alive and remain home. One toot, two toots, and we're out. Okay? You see, people, oh, the trumpet, don't, and it's not Matthew 24. It's not the seven. By the way, the trumpets in Revelation, that last trumpet, do you know how long that bad boy blows? He blows all the way through, almost all the way through the millennial kingdom. He blows a long time. That ain't you and I, see. So as we look here at the day, I got 15 minutes to do another two hours with you. As we, I can't do it in 15. As we look at this issue, our judgment is a part of the day of Christ, which is exclusive to, to Paul's doctrine which therefore sets it apart from any other future event, okay? Now, what I want to do is I want to run with you the verses in Paul's epistles where the day of Christ shows up, and I want you to see that this is not a gloom and doom day, but it's a happy and exciting event. And it's Paul and Paul alone in his epistles where we're looking forward to this future glorious event. Not a bad day, not a bad thing going on. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll do this as quickly as we can, and when we get done, we'll mark it, and we'll come back and pick up here. 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 7. So that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. Here are the Corinthians. They are babes. They are carnal. And yet, what are they waiting for? The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, what eternal security there is. Verse 8. Who, also, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that wonderful? You know what he just said? You guys, you bad bone, bad baby carnal Corinthians are going to be confirmed blameless in that day out there called the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Verse 9, God is faithful. That's, folks, this is wonderful. What eternal security you have. Because your eternity never rests upon your faithfulness. It's resting on God's faithfulness, not yours. 
That's wonderful. That is so relieving. It, so, it causes you to rest and to look at life and say, you know what? I can make a mistake and it be okay. I don't want to make a mistake, but they, those things happen and we're good to go. Man, the coming in verse 7 is the day of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 8. They're hooked. Come over to chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 5. Boy, wait till we get over to this verse. Because everybody has a cow on this one. They have a cow, a calf, and a bull. It's unreal. The stupidity, or I'm sorry, the stuff that comes out of this. Verse 5, 5-5, five, five. to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Is that a good thing? The spirit gets saved in the day? Yeah, but saved how? Not saved to justification unto eternal life, but saved how? Saved from what? Well, 315, they suffered a loss. That fire's consumed that inferior material and got it away. But where everybody has a cow is a delivering one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Turn him over to Satan and let the world have him. Let Satan have And they just, well, we'll get into it when we get there. It's just nuts. They miss the, the happy event of the end of that verse is that there's going to be what? They're going to be there in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to be there. They're going to be good to go. They're going to loss, they're going to suffer, but they're there. That's a glorious day. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians. If you can come out of this this morning with understanding that this is going to be a glorious day, then I've done my job. If you haven't, then we're going to hammer on you some more next week, okay? Because this is such a glorious day. The judgment seat of Christ and the event here and this day is not a bad thing at all. It's not dealing with your sin. Calvary's done that. It's just going to take care of whatever inferior material and superior material you have built. First, or 2 Corinthians 1, look at verse 14. As also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? That's going to be a day of what? Rejoicing. You're, you're going to rejoice, and Paul's going to rejoice. Do you know that when Paul sees you, he's going to give you a big fat hug and a slobberly hello kiss, probably? I don't know. He's, why? Because you're a byproduct of his ministry, and he's excited to have you there. Why? Because you believed, and you're there. Come over to Philippians chapter 1. So Paul, he, by the way, uses the day of the Lord Jesus, the day of the Lord. That's the same day. I know Neanderthals out there like to mix it all up and make it other things. Now we've got five different days. Paul's ta He's talking about the day of Christ, the day that's his day, where he himself comes and calls home his body, and then ultimately will take it and present it to the Father, un. un blameless, unreproved, without spot, without blemish. Well, what a glorious day. Philippians 1, look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of 
Jesus Christ. Boy, you got to think about that. This is a good thing, by the way. What is the good work that he's begun in you? What is that? What's the good work that God's doing today? What's the, the good work that God has begun and is performing until the day of Jesus Christ? What's he doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ, isn't he? He's forming that new creature, that new man. See, this verse is a corporate verse. The you in you there, the you there, that's the plural. Verse 7, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all. See that, you all? Verse 8, for God is my record, how greatly I longed after you all in the bow. What's he doing today? What's he going to perform out there until the Lord himself shall descend with the shout and the voice and all? He's performing this new creature, God's glorious grand work of the dispensation of grace. That work in the dispensation of grace, in the creating of the new creature, the new man. When does that glorious work stop? Verse 6. In the day of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the end of the dispensation of grace. By the way, not the end of the body, because you've got eternity to go. Okay? Verse 10 that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Every man shall have praise of God. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. See? What day are we? We're talking about the day of Christ here. Chapter 2, verse 16. 2.16 holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul doesn't use the term day of Christ, day of the Lord Jesus, day of the Lord Jesus Christ to instill fear and terror in the heart of the believer. He uses the term as a glorious day, as a day where... uh, This day, it conveys, it has everything to do with salvation unto eternal usefulness. That's that fire issue. It talks about being being conformed blameless, to be sincere without offense, to be the cause of great rejoicing. What a day. Now, go to 2 Thessalonians 2. So, judgment seat of Christ, good thing or bad thing? Hello? Good thing. Okay, for on the internet, there was a lot of goods in there, okay? They were mouths at me. They don't like to speak this morning. I had a donut this morning, so the sugar is flowing. So here we go, right? 2 Thessalonians 2. Here is the only verse that the use of the day of Christ is a negative and not a positive. And you have to pay very close attention to how the verse reads. Verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye not be soon shaken in mind or be troubled. 
Okay, so the Thessalonians are what now? Shaken and troubled, right? Glory, day of Christ, good day or bad day? Good day. Never used by Paul as a negative of fear and trembling and shaking. Neither by spirit, that's a preacher, nor by word, that's a message, nor by letter as from us. Isn't that interesting? As, by the way, the letter is, that's a letter of false information signed by Paul that was never signed by Paul. As that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, you've got to think about that verse very carefully before you go run to verse 3. Actually, you don't need to belong in verse 3 until you get verse 2 correct. Because what Paul does in verse 3 now down to verse 12 is tell you what the day of the Lord, not the day of Christ, is all about. And you know what the day of the Lord is all about? That 70th week is all about wrath, trouble, trembling, fear, all of that bad stuff. But what's going on in verse 2 that they would say that the day of Christ is at hand? Again, the Thessalonians are shaken and troubled because they think they're in the day of Christ. They think they've missed the rapture. Because when we go, you got to think... Do you, are we waiting for the day of Christ? Yes. Do we want to be in that day? Yes. But all the verses, good thing. Day of Christ, it's all good. It's us where? When the day of Christ happens, where are we going? Heavenly places. So where is our home? Heavenly places. Where are the Thessalonians in verse 2? Are they in heaven or are they on the earth? They're on the earth. We missed something, guys. Now, Paul's taught them, 1 Thessalonians, but somebody else has come in now. They've been taught that the day of Christ is taking place because they are still on the earth. You missed the rapture. And the guy doing the teaching is using a message. He's got a message, and he's using a letter, falsely, false news. False information saying, see, I got it signed by Paul right there that says really what the day of Christ is, is verse 3 to 12. That's a negative thing. That's a bad thing. The expression day of Christ has everything to do with what God's doing out in the heavenly places through his son, through the body. The Thessalonians are being taught you missed it. So you're still here on the planet of earth, and guess what? you got to go through wrath. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, we'll have to pick up there next time. He's already taught them something about the appearing, about the gathering together. And the fact is, is that if you are still on the earth, you miss the boat. <laughs> so the day of Christ here is being taught as a bad thing. And again, evidently, there's someone teaching a false message, and there's a letter that was sent to them claiming to be authored by the Apostle Paul containing false information about what the day of Christ is all about. 
Now look at verse 3, 2-3. Let no man deceive you by, what's those two words? Any means. What's the any means? The spirit, the word, and the letter of verse 2. You got a teacher, he's got a false message, and he's got false info, a false letter, a forged letter to back up the false. So the only time the day of Christ is a negative thing, where it becomes a thing of fear, is in connection to false doctrine, false teaching about it. So it's not a proof text of what the day is all about. Rather, Paul, we'll start next time. We will see the day of Christ and the events associated with it. And it's a glorious day. I gave you what, five or six verses that are glory, day, rejoicing day. It's a crowning day. And you got one. And everybody runs to the one negative and they omit the other five or six that are positive. I'll stay in the positive. You can waylay all you want in that other if you want. Because it's a glorious day. And the judgment seat of Christ in that day, that's a wonderful day, folks, where you're going you're gonna to give an account to, to, the, to God. The righteous judge is going to pull out the righteous blueprint, the word of God rightly divided, and he's the one that's going to settle the issue. And then, I know it's time's up, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll, we'll see this again. You see, folks, Paul's epistles lay out for us the blueprint for the day of Christ. The day of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that day will be a glorious day. It will be a great day. And there are a number of things connected to that day, and we'll see that next time. One of which is 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 13. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. After the judgment seat of Christ is all done, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take us up into the third heaven and present his body, Ephesians 5.27. There's a presentation of his glorious church to the Father. And you know what the Father's going to do? Well done, my son. Good job. I'll take it from here because you got work to go do. And the Lord Jesus Christ leaves the third heaven, drops back down into the second heaven, and goes to war with Satan in the heavenly places and finishes out the prophetic program. Right after he, Revelation 12, cleans out heaven... The Father then instills us into the heavenly places. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. With the Lord, not proximity, but with him we're, we're set. We're there. Okay? All right. A lot of information. Process it out. Okay? But just think about the rapture, the day of Christ. It's a glorious day. It is not a bad day. And don't get hung up on the titles. People, oh, it doesn't say Jesus Christ, says Christ, right, right, right. No. Paul uses it in connect all the same, he uses all those three different titles in connection to the same day. He doesn't differ, differentiate out. There's not eight different returns for you. There's just one. Day of Christ is the big title, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the folks, their patience, and their eagerness to look into these things. And Lord, I just hope they'll work in our hearts and, and settle our hearts. And as we look to that future day, of uh, glory and glory with you. In your name we pray, amen.